Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Brent Macduff is an author, and he just authored his first book called The Shotgun Conservationist. What makes Brent different is that he was a non-hunter that became a hunter and then wrote about it in this essentially his book his first real release brant is a taxidermist <laughs> yes he's a conservation historian he loves the outdoors he's a jack of many trades he has invited uh, myself and my boys when we are next in new york to do a tour of the natural history museum where he gives instructional classes on taxidermy obviously tours the american Mu museum of natural history and he just is a dude that just loves the outdoors and found hunting as a way to increase that interaction outdoors. I um, recorded this podcast with Brandt at the SCI convention at the end of February and have waited for the moment that his book is available, The Shotgun Conservationist, that you guys can get it. It's available. It's online. Go buy it. It's a phenomenal read. It's funny as hell. So enjoy this conversation with Brent. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. <laughs> My hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Look at you, man. You decided to <coughs> give me a decent book. I know. You got a good copy now. 
Oh, I appreciate that You've a lot. The one with all the pictures and everything you'll have Holy to get Holy, look at that. Them. There's no like blank spots anymore yeah. in the book. It looks like a real book, It Brent. does, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. I couldn't believe it myself. This cat one is this is the my first favorite. is this the first time you've ever first time publishing something? Yeah, I mean most of the public anything that I've had published is just little little essays. Um but um yeah, certainly not this. I was I I lucked out during the pandemic because I got the book deal right before so I could spend the you know, and the whole time writing. Who who published this? It's uh, uh Timber Press, okay. which is owned by Hachette. Okay. Yeah, and I just finished recording the audiobook, which I'm really excited about. You recorded it yourself? Oh uh, uh, yes, of course. Of yeah. course. I wasn't going to let them over my dead body. Of course. Um, of course. I did the audiobook and what was great about the audiobook is that um I was able to add some updates. So in here, you know, I talk about the $400,000 sheep tag. Well, you know, that got blown out of the water a few, like a month ago. Well, not even a sheep tag, se- yeah. 725 mule deer. Oh, no, but the tag before it was the four. Everyone was had their panties in a bunch over the four, the 400K yeah. sheep tag. Yeah. And then it was, and so I mentioned that in the book, but the, the, 700, the mule deer tag hadn't, auctioned yet so I wasn't able to include that in the book 100% so now with the audiobook I was able to add some updates and things like that which was Jeez. fun unbelievable yeah. yeah well congratulations my man thank you it's uh, I started I was I, I don't know what happened I it was like a rush on books I got sent like I'm three sure. or four books I'm sure and I got through like the first three chapters um and then I got stuck into that God Nimrod and the World book, which is a, a slew. It's in my backpack over there. I'll show you. It's And I messed up the title, but it's a, a series of collected academic essays on how Christianity and religion tie into hunting. Oh, and it has both anti-hunting essays and pro-hunting essays. So one of them was like a theological reasoning by why hunting is actually anti-Christian. And I'm like... Aren't we called to be stewards, you know, dominion over all by the Lord himself in Genesis? And there's like it's and then there was one guy who has a a chapter and I'm actually gonna podcast with Wave Nunley, which is how bow hunting is as close to worship as you can get. (laughs) (laughs) Well that's I mean, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's the uh what religion gives you is that you can if you're if you're a good enough wordsmith, you can make it about almost anything you want. Probably so. You can read into anything. Yeah. Well, Brant Macduff, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. I know that we have been chatting for quite some time. You know, I listened to the show, so I wasn't uh, too surprised. Oh, well, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. And I appreciate you sending me a book, man. Yeah. Um, so tell everyone who Brant Macduff is. Introduce yourself. Um, so I I live in Brooklyn, and I do... Wildlife. Originally uh, from New York? I was actually born on Long Island. Okay. Um, but uh, not far from Teddy's Place in Oyster Bay. Okay. But um, no, I grew up all over the East Coast and then ended up back in New York 14 years ago. Um, and I, uh, I do a lot of um, wildlife and conservation and taxidermy education. So I teach beginner taxidermy classes and in terms of like 
what taxidermy is or how to do it? How to do it. So I do a, a 101 course Are with you a just little mice. Yeah. yeah, with just little mice and things, teaching people who just want to try it once for the most part. Um, <laughs> little mice. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're expired frozen feeder mice. Okay. So this is the one step above a pinky. Um, or there two are, steps there above are, a pinky. There are <laughs> I think there are four steps above a uh, pink because you can go to a rat or you can go to the largest mouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a couple sizes in between. Okay. Um, but, yeah, basically, the, the, they, uh, you can get them at the pet store, and they do bizarrely have expiration dates on them. So I go and I get the ones that are four. Okay. I, you know, I'm like, they'll put okay. an expiration date on anything. You're feeding an animal. It, right. Okay. Uh, but so we are right, and they're frozen, and they're yeah. But okay. nope, they yeah they get chucked if they don't. And so, so, how long have you been in the taxidermy business? Well, let's see. So I started doing taxidermy more in earnest when I was working for the Morbid Anatomy Museum in Brooklyn, Kay. and we would do a lot of lectures uh, on mostly things related to history that gets swept under the rug, and it's a lot of death culture. So there is a, a chapter in the book where I talk about that, people's relation to death and how that, how that affects how they perceive the world mm -hmm. and relationships to people and animals and memento, really. So I talk a little bit about memento in the book, about Victorian hair art and uh, death photography and taxidermy, because taxidermy was very big in the Victorian era. And this sort of idea of memento and keepsake that today I think a lot of people would find scary or gross or weird um, where you you might very well have your dogs, you might have a shoulder mount of your dog. This was common? Very common, yeah. yeah mostly, in mostly in the UK. Okay. But yeah. Um, yeah, you would memorialize your favorite dog. Uh, likewise, if you had a favorite horse, it was very common to keep a, a hoof from your horse and have it turned into a candlestick holder or an inkwell oh or and they're gorgeous they have the top you know what's funny like, like my reaction right now uh, and it's almost like quite striking my reaction to that's like oh man that's weird it's almost like the reaction that anti-hunters or people who don't understand like hey you got a trophy on the wall of an animal you shot or killed right that would be their similar reaction to me, right? Right, exactly. Um, yeah, and I certainly talk about that in the book as well, sort of our our relationship to trophy and the connection to food and mm. reverence and respect and how respect is perceived. Mm -hmm. So if... Did you do your art? Or did I you get did someone else to do it? I did all the scrap for the art, which means I make my little design, oh and then okay. they pass it off to an illustrator. Oh, awesome. Which I really I wish I could have done all the art. Um, some of, I love some of the art that's been done, but some of them didn't quite capture my vision. <laughs> and um, like there's one particular, oh, yeah, actually, you won't have this in your book. I what do you mean? Well, I thought you gave no, me no, a you proper book. No, you have a proper book, uh, but I can't go around um, correcting everything myself with a pen. I thought this one particular park ranger was so unattractive that I had to take <laughs> a black pen and adjust him. I gave him a tie. He doesn't have a tie. He looks like he's wearing oh, a... Oh, mine um, doesn't have a tie? No, he doesn't what have a tie. But what page he am I at? Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, 174. Um, let's have a look. So I had to give him a tie, and I had to fix his nose... 
Oh it looks gosh. like he's wearing a pajama top. That's so. like what mine looks like. Um, yeah. See. Oh, interesting. And yeah, he's now he's look very how much look how much more attractive oh, my like guy it. is. I like it. I like it. Well done. <laughs> well done. And that you know this illustration is uh, again going back to like memento and reverence. On one page, on one side of one page, you see a hunter doing a, a classic grip and grin with mm -hmm. deer, and then the reader turns the page, and that same. That same image is in the same spot on the opposite page, and then surrounding it are all the things that you don't see. Correct. So the money that comes from the outdoor shop, money coming from duck stamps, yep, yep, yep. Uh, money into uh, forest preserves, wildlife refuge, um, collecting data from animals, and, and you know then the hunter and his family having dinner. So it's the what can raise someone's hackle, hackles when they first hear something or see something. And look at the acknowledgments. Man, this is how we connect it. So tell people, what's the book? Okay, so the, uh, the title of the book is The Shotgun Conservationist, Why Environmentalists Should Love Hunting. And why did you decide that this was something that fell upon your heart? That you're like, okay, I need to write a book about this. Mostly... Uh, Animals have always been the most important thing to me. I've been an animal freak since I was a little kid. Okay. And I always wanted to do something with animals. And that took, that certainly took different forms throughout my life. I worked at a butcher shop. I give a, I give a four hour walking tour of the American Museum of Natural History. Uh, that's all about the dioramas there, the history of the dioramas, history of the museum. Uh, history of taxidermy. I, I travel and I give lectures about the history of taxidermy and history of conservation. And I think whatever, uh, however I got into, it must have been, I, so I gave, a, I, I gave a talk at, at Google and I think that really sort of let me get into all of these Google invited you to come give a talk about taxidermy. Yeah, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's sort of a, it's sort of a convention. So there are a lot of okay, okay, there are okay. a lot of people talking about weird things. How do we get into that? Like that? I need to give, I need to give a, a talk at Google about they love, hunting. They love hearing things that are outside of what they're normally doing. So I've at, through that I've ended up speaking at a lot of tech places. Wow! And if you can. If you can sit down and you can just very generally go through the both the the economic aspects of hunting, people will listen and they will. I, I can see their minds change, mm -hmm. and they're very receptive to that. The problem is, I think I have a little bit of an edge being from New York City, right? Being. Um, and being connected through groups that are generally considered to be lefty or liberal. Right, or right, right, right. And have an in there. Whereas, even though I might be saying the same message that would come out of, you know, Rocky Mountain Elk or SCI right. or whatever. Right, right, right. It doesn't matter because those are... There's already a stigma. Those are groups. Tied to they have a stigma. Correct. They will judge the messenger. Correct. So, if I have some cred on the if i have some lefty cred yeah for sure it will open doors for me to have that conversation totally agree totally agree um and you know i was talking to uh ben cassidy about this the other yeah, day yeah yeah uh and 
yeah, it is it is a problem because you can see very much how it is an environmental issue, it's an economic issue, it's a very simple like A to B issue, but because it gets tied up in the politics, it gets shrugged off immediately. Mm -hmm. And I've been seeing that, you know, in New York right mm -hmm. now with the uh, trophy yeah. trophy bands yeah. and things like that. Five um, fifth year in a row or something like that. They're trying to push that through again. And uh, as well as just how hunting has now more and more come into the hands of the general public, which is mostly if I'm sitting in on, like if I'm sitting in on a Washington Bear meeting or something like that, mm -hmm. the first thing I'll say is that, that that's the biggest problem is that we're having this discussion anyway. This is an issue that should be left in the hands of wildlife professionals. Wildlife management and science is a real science. It is yeah. not, you, you can't just, there's a difference between what you want to be true and what is true, and I'm, uh, and it gets really muddled now. Uh, and since that's been coming out of the hands of professionals and in increasingly in the public's hands, that I think is the most dangerous mm -hmm. bit. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it sort of went. It, my work with animals, sort of it being a meat eater and a very very enthusiastic meat eater, to say the least. Um, I wanted to keep getting closer and closer to my meat, so that that's a very do you see that being story. quite a pervasive rhetoric? What's which one? The locavore want to understand in New York healthy eating kind of general rhetoric. Where where I am, yes, but that's also because I'm connected to BHA and Hunters of Color, and they've been very good the last couple of years about getting groups together and so we did a we did a deer camp in the Catskills Kay. and had uh, I think maybe a little over 10 uh, mentors and at least 10 mentees and we teamed up with the Nature Conservancy and they have property so we went out to the Nature Conservancy property awesome, and awesome. we were doing crossbow training in the in the backyard of a big Airbnb and <laughs> so it was just kind of a great it was a nice little party but we also had um new york dec came to give a lecture mm -hmm. we had uh nature conservancy gave a lecture and so we're connecting people to the outdoors and to the food and it was just the, the biggest mix of people most who have never hunted or even or shot a crossbow or anything mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. um and uh no one no one got lucky while we were there but we did have dec donate a deer Okay. Um, so we were able to do sort of a breakdown lesson. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but but it is. I mean, you you see people try and if I have the opportunity to talk about that aspect of food, people are interested in it, and it does take them a minute to. I mean, I really take the monocrop culture, processed vegan nonsense. Mm -hmm. uh, I really take it to <laughs> task in the book, just about one's understanding of oh plant-based must be friendlier and right. that sort of being the the beginning and end of that conversation well isn't that again that's it's it's a it's not a chink in their armor but it's almost like the thing that they hold themselves so high to right like we're holier than now because we don't kill right or, or at least they don't think they do and i think that's the problem is that 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 never it never takes the next step in their well where does this come from it's not just because it is plant-based doesn't necessarily mean it's more environmentally friendly. Mm. 
uh, and I, I or what is environment quote unquote environmentally friendly yeah, right exactly well I mean as far as I'm concerned uh, we're not going to have much that's environmentally friendly when we have what I consider to be um, outbred our carrying capacity as humans on this planet I, I think uh, I think ecosystems have a carrying capacity I think humans are pushing it right now if they want to you know we can go ahead yeah, and but that's so interesting you, it's, in it's interesting you say that but I'm sure you're you've seen the data on population, ra population population rates going down yes. and decreasing and in places yeah, and you're yeah. like whoa that's we've, we've never been in a time frame in our human history right where we are actually not growing yes actually decline in certain places like italy and stuff right. like that right sure yeah japan even the, yeah the yeah. u.s tanking which i think yeah i think there's going to be a very uncomfortable transition period but i think that's the hole that we've dug ourselves into is that it is it is difficult to make a lot i mean the major i'd say well, maybe it's 50 50 of my friends who are having kids and not having kids but maybe uh I might have a few more friends who are not having kids, and mm. it's the same story. Like, it's just hard. It's really, really expensive. There's no time. It takes longer for a person. You know, when my dad was my age, it was like, <laughs> oh my god. You know, he had kids, and uh, you know, do you it's think like you just can't do that anymore? Do you it's think hard. selfishness comes into it? I mean, you don't have kids, and the reason I, I say that kids. is this: is I have kids, yeah, and I completely get it. Yeah, <laughs> like I could be like. We, you could do so much. Right. You could see so much of the world. Yeah. And again, you could do so much. Yeah. Without kids. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Sure. But I have kids, and they're and of amazing. course, they're of course they're, they're incredible. the most important thing in your yeah. life. And I'm looking forward to having donuts with them tomorrow morning. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. And I get that for you know I, all my friends who have kids. It's like. Well, your your priorities change. You know, you have a kid, and instantly it's like, oh, my entire world has changed. 100%. And I get that, of course. Um, is it? I do relish. Uh, you know, so two of my friends came with me on this trip uh, because I said, hey, I have to go to this convention in Nashville. Do you want to come? Like, I have to go to the convention in the day, but you guys work. They work from home. They work from their computer. So yeah. I was like, well, bring your computers. Work from come the, hang Airbnb, on the Airbnb, and then, <laughs> yeah, and then when. When we're done, we'll go out, we'll go to bars, we'll go to dinner, yeah. and then we'll play hooky the last yeah. day and hang out. And they, it was just as easy as that, you know, like, yeah, great. And so we did that. So it, there, absolutely, there is a sense of what I'm doing, what I get to do with my life right now, I absolutely could not do mm -hmm. with, with kids. I can mm -hmm. barely How old are you, afford my own life. I'm th I'm th oh, I just turned 39. I know I look Holy like a baby. Holy shit, dude. I know. Yeah, man, you do look like a baby. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Better living through chemistry. Heck yes. I, yeah. I love it. I love it. So, I don't think we've actually... I know, I feel like we've started four no, different no, tangents no, and then I've, love gone, I've gone that's, crazy. That's the whole point oh, of my conversations yeah. on this podcast and people understand it. Well, let me ask this question. Why, do you, why did you feel like... Well, no, let me start. Let me ro rotate a little bit. Did you grow up a hunter? No. No, my dad... Uh, my dad worked in the UK a lot, so he would go on, uh, like he would go on a pheasant shoot or go fishing, um, go fishing when he was traveling for work, um, and so there was sort of a bit of that sort of sporting mm. lifestyle to us. He he got me a shotgun when I was in the fifth grade for sporting clays, okay. and I've been a sporting clay nut ever since. I love it. 
Um, Didn't you have a, like a vegan vegetarian component too? Did I read that or am I making that up? No, I, there was a point in, there was a point when I was younger and I, you know, I loved animals so much and I was like, man, every time I eat, I'm eating an animal. I don't want to do that. Mm. I love them. So I, I think I, I declared I was a, a vegetarian sometime after lunch and then, oh, that's took, right. yes. and then took three it back. hours later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> took it back right before dinner because I just couldn't, it's just my favorite thing in the world to eat. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't like abide by any kind of carnivore diet or anything like that, but I do eat a lot of meat. Mm -hmm. um, so then for just years, I was just a very guilty meat eater. Like, I don't know. What do you want me to do? I got these teeth. I, I right. meet it. I, so, um, but then when I got to New York, I did work f at a butcher shop. And that was sort That's of right. the next, like, okay, how can I be a little bit more responsible? How can I have a hand in this? How can yep. I see see how the sausage gets made and yep. you know maybe if i see these animals coming Literally off a truck how the sausage yeah, is made exactly yeah. um you know maybe that would change how i felt about meat or you know and not really it just made it made me continue with what i was already doing which is what the people at the butcher shop were doing they ate very little meat relatively because they they had gotten so finicky about its sourcing mm. and so that that happened to me to a certain extent like you know, I say in the book, if I'm in California, I'm going to In-N-Out Burger. Um, so uh, I'm not necessarily going to not eat something because I don't know every yeah. step of the way yeah, it yeah. made. But as far as what I like to bring into my house, yeah. It, and it's, you know, it's not easy. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I had to put a, you know, I put a chest, a little chest freezer in my tiny Brooklyn oh, yes, apartment. 100%. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's a lot of work. It's not a, easy yeah, to do. I killed a cow elk in Colorado in October of last year. And I was like, I think I've got enough freezer space. <laughs> Drove it home. And halfway, like literally three, sorry, three quarters of the way through processing the meat myself, I had already emptied the ice cream freezer mm -hmm. that we have as a family and stuffed it full of meat. And I was like, I'm in trouble. I'm out of freezer space. And so I had to order a new freezer. Oh, wow. And so luckily we live in Tennessee, the way in which we have a big garage and I could right. order a, a huge chest freezer. Right. And, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's where the food comes from is like, I get, you know, to the point of your journey to where you are. Yeah. Um, it's an important element to why people hunt. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I, it's an important element for me. But at the same time, I make it clear that that's not necessarily what even, you know, the book is about. Like, that's part of my journey, and I will explain, I explain that through the book. But really, once I get to the sort of the economics of everything, mm. that's what I try to lean most heavily on. Because I honestly, I don't care if someone is a vegan or a vegetarian. Some of my best friends are vegetarians. Um, I don't care if someone's a vegan or vegetarian. I want them to understand the economic cycle um, that by putting their own nose in uh, wildlife science, they can be kind of screwing up a, a cycle that we've had here for, you know, since the 30s that's been working really, really well. And if they don't, if they don't understand it, you know, that can be, that's a lot of trouble down the road and not, not even to get into international situations but if you can get that far with someone with the conversation starting with the food and then getting into the economics getting into the 
American side of the the history mm. of conservation, and then you can get that toe in the international waters. People are very receptive to listening to it. I mean, the the um, I haven't. I really would like to make an animation um, one day where I've sort of made these like little paper dolls mm -hmm. that have habitat and carnivores and herbivores and <laughs> uh, hunters and trackers and farmers and poachers and yeah, crops yeah. and livestock. Love it. And if if I show it to people and I say, okay, well, you've got you know the farmer wants to protect the crops and their livestock, and then you and you kind of move the paper dolls around and you show people well you know then that if the farmer cares more about their livestock and their crops well they're not going to care so much about the carnivores that might eat their livestock or the herbivores that might eat their crops and then mm -hmm. you know then the poacher becomes an asset because they're getting rid of those guys and mm -hmm. then the, and so to to give it something visual and bring the um bring that conversation into a really simple put value on habitat and however that happens is a, a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't shoot an elephant or a giraffe, but I but recognize... And neither can I. I don't yeah. want... I, that, there's nothing in, in me that wants to do that either. No, yeah. Um, but if the cycle works to keep the value on the habitat and keep the value on the animals, if the, the animals keep the value on the habitat, you know, you mm -hmm. can... If you take down a piece of habitat to, you know, uh, for the, the lumber or drilling or mining or development, that, that place does not come back. The animals come back every single year. So if you can put the value on the animals, you've put the value on the habitat. And people will listen. Like, they can, at the end of the day, not like big game hunting in Africa, right. but they'll lay off it. Yeah, the, well, and, and, you know, that's, I, you know, one of the analogies that someone told me was, I like heavy metal music. You like country music. You hate heavy metal music. Right. Doesn't mean I'm a bad person for listening to heavy metal music. And so it's same as hunting. Like, you may hate hunting. You may not get it. You may not like it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Get it. You don't have to. I'm not asking you to. But I am asking you to look at the evidence yeah. of the benefits and impacts and consequences of the action right. downstream. Economically, yes. Ecologically, yeah. Um, societal, you right. know, benefits. Yeah, I think the, you know, the photos are so inflammatory to people, and it. Yeah, but the and photos they never get past that. Yeah, and the, but the photos are are a, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Fog brain after four days at convention. Sure. Yeah. Or a relic. <laughs> Yes. Of the yeah. 20 to 30 years of this hunting industry that has not changed its stripes or its spots to uh, adjust right. to the social media age that we live in today. Yes. Yeah. Right. But that's tough to put on a watermark on every photo. <laughs> like, okay, I know you don't like the photo, but please listen to this. You know, exactly. Uh, right. But um, Do you yeah. think that's the reason why you... you you built the book or decided to do the book? What was so the catalyst I, that I just said, shit, I need a book? I think the the issue for me is that almost every conversation that is happening with the hunting community is happening within the hunting community. Mm -hmm. It's a bubble. Mm -hmm. And how do you get outside of it? How do you... Um, because it's all well and good for us to work towards our legislative goals and things like that, mm -hmm. but 
we're a tiny group mm -hmm. and it is allies who are needed more than anything mm -hmm. um and so if this is a if this is a real live book put out by a real live publisher and it's going to be on a shelf in a Barnes and Noble 100% then you know if that it, what I would love to do is tell <laughs> if you're a hunter listening to this go buy a book go buy 20 books I don't I don't make a lot of money off of them it's like maybe I get 10 cents per book sale yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. not about that but you know and you can use them as kindling or a doorstop I don't care but the more books I can sell the more press I can get mm -hmm. and the more press I can get the more I can be talking in front of people who are not our bubble. Right. And that's, I think that's the most important thing right now because increasingly we're just going to see more and more come up uh, in legislation and the, the temperature of the public, you know, turn even more. Uh, and getting that information and getting the conversation to people who aren't normally having it. And that's what I see mostly is it's people who have that knee jerk reaction. But if you can have a conversation with them, they mm. will listen and they will be receptive. And they uh, generally, I, I see people change their mind. They still may not like it, Oh yeah. but they will, they will get it because yep. it's a, it's not a trick. It's not a lie. I'm not trying to mm -hmm. trick anyone into thing. It's a very simple one-to-one. -one. Mm. If the animals are valuable, the land is valuable. That's well, it. We, uh, we have those conversations daily. You do, but how do you get your podcast to, to more people that don't, that, oh, might yeah. be, that might be turned off by the, the name Blood Origins? Oh, no, 100%. No, it's just a matter of people sharing and yeah. going into different circles and you know, we don't create content for hunters. Absolutely. We create content for non content for non hunters, which actually shoots us in the kneecap because a hunter doesn't right. see it as quote unquote sexy content. Right, right. And yeah. they're like, Ah, oh, I'm not gonna share that. Yeah. That's good. But didn't like stroke the endorphin right. like, Oh, I wanna you know. Right, right. But um no, every, it's yeah. almost like um we're living in like a, a little turtle race. We're just like slowly creeping along in yeah. terms of our messaging. No, it's, it's, you know, every so often you, you put a message out there that resonates and you can, f and you feel the like, oomph, like, okay, it went up, like, okay, yeah. it reached people. Like, you know, you got a response that says, you know, one of the things, one of the responses I remember very, very specifically was, I can't remember who the, what the Instagram handle was, but it was like, I'm a bleeding heart vegan and even this guy makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So and we get those kinds of comments all the time, and yeah. you know, and the and the way we get most of the traction is yes, we create content, but whenever someone's posting, like you say, outside of our circles, mm. against hunting, right. they post something, you know, and they, there's certainly an anti-hunting, non-hunting space there, and we engage into that space. Yes, good. I'm not afraid to engage into the million account or the one and half million account and say something, say something very logical. Yeah. Say something without emotion, very respectfully. And I'm not trying to change that person's mind, but 10,000 people just read my comment and they click through to my page and they're like, oh, let me look at some of this content. Let me see what this guy has to say. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I will do a, I will respond to someone on Instagram. Mm -hmm. There's a, uh, there's some feed that uh, it just is really poorly decorated interiors that I follow and it's just pretty funny. 
And uh, w one time there was a pretty, uh, a, a sort of a gaudy trophy room that oh. they were doing on their page. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, uh-oh. And so I, I had to make a few responses there and got into it got into a bit of a, a thread a, yeah it got into a bit of a thread but it was it was really interesting and then someone else commented at the bottom of the thread saying like oh listening to the two of you God, like that was interesting and so it's, a, it's you never know yeah. who's watching you never yeah. know who's listening or not listening or reading it's exhausting it's a lot of work oh yeah every yeah. day yeah every single day <laughs> yeah you're yeah you're doing it more than I am and it's yeah it's brutal well man Man, so where can people find your book? So can you find no, it in know. the Barnes when, and Noble when, when right now? This, when is this coming out? Can you make it come out after April? <laughs> yeah, I can make it come out after <laughs> April. You need me to make it come out after? Well, so the book will be on shelves April twenty fifth. Okay, we'll do it after April twenty fifth then. Perfect. Easy. Perfect. And um, you know, get the audio book as well. You know, you got to have a hardback to put on your shelf. The yeah. audio book is going to be a lot of fun. If you've liked. Uh, Brant's accent for the last 35 <laughs> minutes. You can. How long is the audiobook? I, you know, I'm not sure. Eight I hours? think it'll probably be eight hours. Yeah. Okay, perfect. But you know, there's a uh, there's a bit in here. There's a lot of uh, there are a lot of bits. It's it's a very silly book, um, which I did to you know hopefully make it more uh, appealing to people, make it a little bit lighthearted and silly. So. Are you silly by nature? I am very silly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm very silly. Um, so I tried to. I tried to bring that into the book. Infuse your own personality yeah. into the book. As much as I could. Well, Brent, I appreciate you reaching out. I don't know how long ago you reached out. And uh, I'll tell you a funny story, and I think you'll appreciate this being a silly individual. You know how when... Because there's certain things when someone reaches out to you that you look at that creates a reference in your brain about who this person looks like. You do that all the time? Do you sure. do that? Like sure. a phone call, you're like, oh, this guy must be like old. You know? And you have a picture both on your Instagram as well as on your email. That What is that picture? It's like a, it's not you. Oh, Sir Andrew Dwight. Correct. Mm -hmm. You have yeah. a very old individual yeah. as a picture, yeah. right? I changed that now for marketing purposes, but so yes, for years. Which is very good because yeah. when you were interacting with me, I was like, man, this guy's like a, I think he's like a crazy dude <laughs> in New York who's just like, and I get a lot of that. So you were just lumped into that category because sure. of the picture. Yeah. I was like, okay, there's this crazy dude. He's writing a book. <laughs> and uh, You're he's, not like, wrong. he's like 60 and he's in his basement <laughs> and he's just like typing away and... So most, I had a very most of that is true. I'm just in a, a <laughs> younger, more friendly <laughs> visage. I had this complete when you and when you sent like the book and I saw a picture of you, I was like, that's what Brandt looks like. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I apologize for making no. any false assumptions <laughs> on, on in, in what that was, you know, what who you were and whatnot. And I've thoroughly enjoyed what I've read thus far and I look forward to getting into the real version. Oh yeah, get into the, the real, real book, edited and uh, edited with pictures. Thank you. Yeah, the, uh, the uh, I'm pretty Without proud like of the pictures. Insert here. Exactly, box. I know it's terrible. <laughs> it, it's terrible. There's uh, yeah, the cat, the cat protester pictures might I be like one of that my one, one what of is my that? favorites. Tell me about that one. That's um, so there's an illustration with a bunch right? of yeah, 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 one eighty one. Um, it's an illustration with a bunch of protesters. And they're all holding up signs. 
And one of the, you know, all the, the signs say stuff like, kill the Hawaiian monk seal, kill the Florida panther, kill the orange-bellied parrot, kill the Chinese mountain cat, kill the piping plover, kill the bilby, kill the numbat. And then there's one other guy, one other protester, holding up a sign that says, don't kill kitties. And at the bottom of the illustration, it says it's the same sign. So when people get their undies in a bunch over dealing with feral uh, outdoor cat populations, mm. which are a massive problem, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you don't, you hear less about the cats in New Zealand than you do about the tar. It's like Correct. The tar don't do any, you know, they're eating yeah. some flour, they're fine. Yeah. There's no, they're yeah. not, not real, they're not creating, exactly. The, As a the cats have directly led to the extinction of the majority of what ground birds they have left. <laughs> and so, but because kitties are, people have little pet cats, mm -hmm. it colors their entire understanding. And Agreed. an outdoor cat is just as holy as a pet cat and you can't do anything about them. But that means you are resigning, you know, the, it's not that, um, it's not that domestic cats are killing Florida panthers, you know, by, uh, attacking them, but they spread a disease that mm -hmm. they get from them, and the Florida Panthers are dying. So, you know, it's uh, you have to make your decision. Like, fine, you don't want to kill the, you, you don't want to cull the herd of outdoor cats. Okay, well, just know that the Hawaiian monk seal might go extinct. Because are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's yeah. a very good way to look at it. Mm. Brent McDuff, thank you, my man. Where can people find more about you? Uh, so my website is immortalanimals.com. Okay. And if you if you just Google Brent McDuff book or the Shotgun Conservationist, you'll find more stuff from the book. Um, but uh, yeah, on my website, immortalanimals.com. Available anywhere: Barnes and Nobles, Amazon.com. It will, out yeah, there, absolutely. Available. Yeah, yeah. You can, I mean, you can, at this moment, you can pre order it through Amazon and Barnes and Noble and some other bookstores. But yeah, it'll be on shelves. And then I'm going to, in early May, I'm going to start touring. And sweet. We're going to have a launch party at Filson in New York. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Outstanding, man. Yeah. Outstanding. Shotgun conservationist, why environmentalists should love hunting. Brent, you're the man. Thank you, my man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.